Jump down to verse 26 of uh, chapter 6. I said 5, we're going to back up to 5. But jump down to chapter 26. Let me read this one thing. Um, I'm going to land here. And hopefully it won't be too long. I'm going to summarize this, this story that's in front of us so we can get to where God is and hopefully hear what he's saying to us. If you're at 6 and 26, say amen. Amen. One more time. Say amen if you're there. Amen. I'm reading from the New International Version, and here is what 6 and 26 says. It says, at that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest, he will set up his gates. Let me read it again. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations, and at the cost of his youngest, he will set up his, its gates. Uh, let me say this prophetically before we go into the word, then we're going to back up. The reason a lot of us are stuck in a manna mindset and I'm, I'm trusting some of you were here last week to kind of get context for the message. Is because every time God does a work in us, in tearing down the Jerichos of our lives, we mess around and go back and rebuild the thing. <laughs> we go rebuild it. We go rebuild it. We go rebuild it. And the text says it'll never succeed because a curse has been pronounced on that which God has destroyed in our lives to take us to our season of more than enough. Quit rebuilding things that God has destroyed. Amen? Quit rebuilding things that God has which destroyed. We're walking through getting to our season of more than enough and what I shared on Wednesdays, we're going to be very practical. I'm going to give you practical steps and practical applications on things that you and I need to do to get to where God would have us to go and be. And sometimes it calls for hard things, but we need to stop rebuilding things that God has destroyed in our life. Now back up to uh, chapter 5 and jump down to verse 13. And um, if you can put our big idea on the screen. Um, if you have the U version of Bible, you guys know you can download that uh, the sermon notes there. If you're searching, search on, I think it's search on conquering Jericho today, and you should be able to find it to get to where we need to go. Now, I need you to lock this in your spirit today, where it says, in conquering those impossible feats in your life, you must allow God, or it should be a capital G, to work with you for you. Very, very important principle, Okay. In conquering the impossible, these impossible feats in your life, you and I must be willing to allow God to work with us, for us. Come on, repeat after me. Say, I must, I must. let God, let God. Work, with me work with me for me. One more time. I must, I must. let God yes. work with me work with for me. Now, here is where this all began, and uh, I'm going to be as succinct as I possibly can to kind of move us through um, this chapter 6, the majority of the last part of 5, and then the majority of chapter 6. Last week, as we looked at this particular um, passage, the crossing of the Jordan, we saw that before God allowed Joshua to take the Israelites into the land of promise, God gave Joshua specific instructions, and if you were to read chapters 1 through 4 of the book of Joshua, you would find out that the Israelites were about to embark on new territories and new places that they had not been before. And so God is saying to them, I think it's in chapter 2 somewhere where he says, you have never been this way before, so the instructions I'm going to give you are going to be very specific, and if we can learn to follow them, we'll get to where God would have us to go. And one of the things we saw as we got to the beginning of chapter 5 is that God specifically instructed Joshua with the Israelites after their 40-year wandering and they were at the gates of going into the land of Canaan. He said to them, circumcise the Israelites again. 
Now, the principle and the application we extracted from that is that if you and I are going to get to our place of promise, there are certain things that we need to cut off. Uh, let me make it more, more, more on the ground. We, we must be willing to let go of some things. Come on, say amen. Everything that's attached to you is not necessarily good for you, nor will it enable us to get to that place of destiny. So we must be willing to cut some things off if we're going to get to the place of promise. Now, the reason we need to cut those things off is because if we endeavor to take those things into our places of promise, it will delay progress because it will continue to remind us of our past or of our yesterday. Are you with me? Now, the striking thing about the instructions that were given last week is that when it comes to us relinquishing those things in our lives, we cannot expect anyone to do it for us. We must be willing to do it for ourselves. Come on, are you with me? Turn to your neighbor real quick. I'm going to wake you up. Say, neighbor, you can't do it for me. I've got to do it for myself. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm hoping between last Sunday and this Sunday... No one has begun the 40-year journey all over again because the instruction last week was to do it now. Are you, come on, y'all. No procrastination. Very, very important. And I'm hoping nobody left here procrastinating, but that we took the initiative to do it right then and there to begin the process of getting to where God would have us to go. We kind of saw that in the text, and then we saw that as we begin the process, that God then will transition us from where the manna that we were eating for 40 years literally stopped when they crossed the Jordan, and they obeyed God in the steps that he had outlined to begin the process of going into the land of promise. Now, I hate that the majority of you missed Wednesday night because on Wednesday, we went in great depth as it relates to, biblical, to the biblical process of seeing how God's design is that we live in produce and not manna. If you were not here um, last Sunday or uh, this past Wednesday, manna is not designed to sustain you in the long term. Are you with me? Manna is designed just to last till you get full and then it goes away. And, and here is the thing that we share with you on last week. It is birthed out of an outcry of desperation. So we find ourselves in this place of we needing help, we needing God to answer prayer real quick, and we cry out to God, and God rains down manna just enough, just enough, just enough, just enough. You try to save it, and it goes away. You try to invest it, and it goes away. You try to bank it, and it goes away. It's not designed to last long term. But produce has seed in it. It's designed to be placed in the ground and to reproduce. Come on, y'all. And so the whole point of what we're trying to teach as we talk about getting to your season of more than enough is the switching the wilderness or the manna mindset and getting to a place of produce where we can reap the harvest of the land. Does anybody want to get to produce this morning? Come on, come on, come on. Does it Amen. Want to get to produce this morning. I don't know what is going on with this. You know, God's going to get the glory. Are you with me? Anybody want to get to produce this morning? Good. Now, now here's the thing. Now, let me, let me jump into the text today. Now, as we make the transition now, when we're going into this land of promise, there is this place called Jericho, or there is that big thing that exists in my life or exists in your life, and you don't know how God is going to do it. Well, let me back up. You, like me, don't know how we are going to do it. Are you with me? The mistake we make is that we spend a lot of time trying to figure God out or trying to manipulate things, and we should not do that. We must learn to let God fight with us for us. Come on, say amen. Let God fight with us for us. So here's some principles I want to walk through. So back up to chapter 5, verse 13, and let me read a couple of things. And then we're going to walk through this text as succinctly as we can to hear what God is saying. Look at verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, keep in mind now he had crossed the Jordan and he was about to enter his land of promise. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or our enemies? Are you for us or for our enemies? 
Neither he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing. Everybody says that is what? It's what? And then look at the next phrase. And Joshua did not procrastinate. He did so. Come on. Are you with me? Now put that first point on the screen. It's going to be very similar to the big idea because here's what I want you all to get. Get this in your spirit. In conquering those impossible feats in your life, we must allow God, capital G, to work with us for us. He must work with you. He must work for you. Now, let me give you the literary context leading up to this passage, then I'll explain those verses, and we're going to move on to where God is saying. You must know who Joshua is to really appreciate what's happening in verses 13 through 15 and what's laid out ahead of us. Joshua, if you will, was the commander of God's army on the earth. Now, the reason that is critical information because in Joshua's tenure as commander of God's earthly army, specifically during Moses' regime, there never was an enemy that Joshua could not defeat. I need at least two amens. Y'all know this stuff. Y'all know biblical Old Testament. You guys know this. And, and, and during the wilderness wanderings, y'all remember this quite well, whenever the people of God in their wilderness journey would encounter an enemy, God would always lead Joshua. He would speak to Joshua. Joshua always had the ability, but the striking thing in, Joshua, in Joshua's victory or his conquest, it was normally a victory that he accomplished by using his own strength and or his own skill set. He was a skilled warrior. Now, here's where we are at the time of the text. They crossed the Jordan, and what's facing Joshua is not so much a people, but it was a great barricade and a great wall and a great divide that separated the people of God from the next victory they needed to have to actually go into their land of promise. Joshua approaches this thing, and you must understand with me that all the Israelites had at the time were bows and arrows and slingshots and rocks. And come on, y'all tracking with me. They didn't have battering rams, and they didn't have tanks, and they didn't have all the necessary military artillery to demolish or to take down such a great wall. And if you study Old Testament history, you will understand with me that the walls of Jericho was probably one of the most fortified walls that ever existed during its time. Come on, y'all know this. And so here's Joshua now probably left the army behind and he goes out and he's surveying this thing trying to figure out how in the world am I going to conquer this? How in the world am I going to do this? We just left Egypt and we've been in the wilderness for 40 years and we don't know how we're going to get do this to get to our season of more than enough. Then all of a sudden in his analyzing or, or evaluating this opponent or this wall, this fortified city that stood in front of him, the text says he encountered a man. Now look at verse 15. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him. And I like, I like the next phrase, with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Look at what verse 14 says. Neither, he replied, but I like this phrase, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now, uh, which, my problem and your problem is we want to get to that season of more than enough, but we're so busy figuring out how to do it that we don't even see God in our very midst, come on y'all, trying to tell us what to do. This was no doubt a theophonic 
appearance or an Old Testament image or representation of Jesus showing up on the scene to intervene to tell Joshua, listen, Joshua, the battle isn't yours. It belongs to God. This is what I'm trying to tell you. We must let God fight with us for us because notice the text says the man wasn't standing there with his arms on his hip. He wasn't standing there drinking Starbucks coffee. Y'all got to hear me. He wasn't standing there lollygagging. The text pointedly says when Joshua encountered him, he was in a position because his sword was drawn and he was ready to fight such that Joshua thought that the man was about to attack him. Hence the question, hey, hey. And Joshua probably grabbed his sword and said, are you for us? Are you for against us? And this little man says, neither, because he says, I am commander of the Lord's army. I need two or three people in here that understand with me that when you don't know what to do, that when you don't know how to overcome those obstacles in your life. That when you don't know how you're going to make it and you can't see tomorrow for today and you don't know what the next step is, all you've got to do is hold your peace and let God, come on, are you with me? Because while Joshua was trying to figure it out, God has already dispatched. He had already Dispatch, not a private. <laughs> not, not even a sergeant. I messed around and walked into the Joint Stephen's Chaff offices this past week. I had a chance to be in D.C. with my son, and I said to him, I want to see where the commanders of the United States Army is. And I'm talking big wigs, y'all. Y'all don't get me. I mean, you, I'm just breaking into stuff. And my son's like, Dad, they're going to lock you up. Hey, I got another commander with me, son. It's all good. But, but you got to understand with me, when God releases and he sends somebody to intervene for you, he does not send any small somebody. He sends the commander of his army to engage. And man, we miss that. 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 Because here's the thing, we feel we have to do it. I have to fix my marriage. I have to fix my home. I have to fix the job. I have to, come on y'all. And these things are so insurmountable that they've been existing in our lives for so long and we keep running into a wall because we are not equipped to engage the enemy that we're engaging. This is where grandma's theology comes in real good. Hold your peace. Ho, 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 your peace because... There, there, there's a commander that's been released to you with his sword drawn. And he's ready to engage what we are ill-equipped to engage. Are you with me? Let God fight with you, for you. Come on, let God fight with you, for you. I want you all to hear what I'm saying. Let God fight with you. For you, I'm going to say it over and over again because somebody hadn't gotten it yet because you still think I need to sit back passively and let God do all the fighting. Let him fight with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if he's fighting with you, there's a partnership that's involved in this fighting or in this battle that God has engaged us in. Let him fight, let him fight, let him fight. Let him fight with you, for you. Look at the text, look at the text, look at it says, his sword was drawn in his hand and Joshua went up to him and he says, are you for our enemies? Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, he says, I have now come. I have now come. I have now, you gotta, you, you gotta get this people. I have now come. And, and the, the, the striking thing that strikes me about that little phrase is God has a way of showing up when we're ready to give up. And some of us give up too quick. And, and, and here's when God shows up. God shows up when we don't know how, when we don't know where, when we don't know when, when we don't know what to do next. That's when God shows up. And the reason he shows up then is if he shows up when we know how to do it, we will want to take the credit for... 
for doing it ourselves, so he'll sit back. And when we run out of ideas, God has a way, I have now come. I was waiting. I was waiting for you to engage in that thing that you don't know how to fix. I was waiting for this to happen so you can call me. Don't you find it amazing that when Christ Jesus comes in our life, that is when we cry out to God the most? That's when he shows up. Are you with me? Come on, say it again. Say, let God fight with me. For me. 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is what? Holy ground. And Joshua did so. People, listen to me. Listen, this is going to sound so ridiculous, and I'm going to say that again. It's going to sound so crazy. When life has dealt you its best blow, that's the time for you to get into your deepest posture of worship because that's when God is right there with you. When life has dealt you its worst blow, that is when you engage God in worship because that's when he shows up to be with you whether we feel him or not. There's a, little, there's a little poem that most of you are familiar with that shows, I think it's something about footprints. And, and the poem goes where it shows two sets of feet walking on the sand. And then there gets to a place where one set disappear and one set keep going by itself. And then here's the person says, well, God, I thought you were with me because they mistakenly believe that the one set of prints was theirs and that God had left them. But then the author says, that is when God picked you up. That's when he decided to carry you. Are you with me? And the one set of prince is his while you are laying in his arm because the battle is not yours. It belongs to him and he's doing all the carrying. So while you're in the arms of God, when you are going through your worst nightmare, that is when you engage him in worship. Oh, I need two witnesses this morning that... The place where you're standing, the place where you're standing, it may seem like a nightmare, but it's holy because God is there with you. It may feel terrible, but God is there with you. Let him fight with you. Are you guys hearing me? For you. Now look at, look at the next thing. Put the next slide on the screen. I want to walk to verse 6. I want you all to see this. Now look at this. When God fights with you, for you, I said this before, I'm going to say it again. We must realize the battle is not yours, but it's who? Come on. The battle is not yours, but it's who? Critical information. Now, the gates, chapter 6, verse 1, of Jericho was securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king, and it's what? Come on, and it's what? Yeah, let me read it again. Yeah, this, is, this is strange. The gates of Jericho were securely barred before, because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh said to Joshua, See, they're afraid of you. <laughs> and watch the verbal phrase. I have delivered Jericho into your hand. You guys see that? Along with its what? And its what? Fighting men. Now, believers... This is the importance of the Ephesians series prior to this teaching. You've got to know who you are. If you don't know who you are, folk won't bar the gates for fear of who you are. <laughs> Y'all just missed that. Their worst nightmare, and the Israelites are trying to figure out what to do with them, and the Israelites themselves are no doubt afear, afraid of the residents on the inside, while the whole time the residents on the inside are afraid of the Israelites on the... 
Me? Nothing worse, and we can wrestle with this later on, than believers saying, oh, I got to run because the devil is chasing me. If you know whose you are, and you know whom you are, when you show up, by virtue of the fact that Christ lives in you, demons tremble. But, 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 but they, they get to shivering, but then when they look over the wall and they see you shivering, All of a sudden, they get courage because they realize, oh, that one doesn't know who he is. That one doesn't know who she is. And all of a sudden, they open the gates and they come out. Are you with me? And, and they engage us. But, but, but don't miss the text. Don't miss the text. Listen to what the text says. The gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And it says, then the Lord said to Joshua, thank you, baby, see Watch that phrase, I have delivered. Come on, say, I have delivered. Everybody say, say it like you mean. Say, I have delivered. Let me, can I get cranial just for a minute? Here, 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 the perfective aspect of that verbal phrase, I have delivered, speaks to completed action without reference to any time frame. Y'all can't handle that. Y'all can't handle that. You can't, you can't handle that. Y'all can't handle that because you want to see it now. That's why you can't handle it, okay? It's, it's not like completed in the Greek tense where, where completed means past action with ongoing results. In Hebrew, the perfective aspects of a verb doesn't have time attached to it, but it is in the indicative mood, which means that it's going to happen, excuse the grammar, for show. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, excuse, excuse the grammar, are you with me? I do know a little something, something, are you? So I just need to put that in there for the little people. But, but it's going to happen for show. That's what the indicative mood says and what the perfective aspect of the verb says that it will happen, I'm just not going to tell you when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but watch this, along the continuum of time, you're going to get signs and you're going to get warnings and you're going to see things happen from time to time. But listen, if I say I'm going to do, guess what? I'm going to do and you can take it to the bank in the indicative mood. It's as good as already being done because I said it. Here's the importance of that in your life and the importance of that in my life. If God says that he wants to take us to the season of more than enough, it's already done. The importance of the perfective aspect of that Greek or that verbal phrase says that I can't sit back passively and wait for, for it to happen. I must engage in making it happen in that I've got to walk it out. And it is in the walking it out that I'm going to get to destiny and I'm going to see it actually happening. Now, the danger with the perfective aspect is that in the walking it out, if stuff happens in my life, here's the end of the message, and I rebuild Jericho, I've got to start. Yeah. And I'm walking it out. But I keep rebuilding things. And I'm walking it out. And I keep rebuilding things. And the commander of the army of the Lord keeps showing up. And he keeps saying to us, see, I have given you. It's going to happen. And that motivates us the first Sunday of every year when the new year begins. And we make resolutions. And we start But then something happens. And then we are so, I'm not calling nobody dumb, but we're so dumb. 
believe is going to happen as if we forgot the fact that the commander of the Lord's army has already showed up with his sword drawn and made the declaration in the indicative mood that it is going to happen and we begin walking it out but we keep finding ourselves in these iniquitous cycles and we can never get to destiny. Here, here's a phrase, this to help you understand this, that's written with the perfective aspect. Christ is coming again. There's no time. You get what I'm saying? But you know for sure. Let me stay there. It's fitting to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You get what I'm saying for sure. You, you know, you know without a shadow of a doubt that he is coming back. Are you with me? But, but, but here, here's a mistake you and I make is that, is that every now and then we get filled with the spirit and we walk it out because we know he's coming. But then something happens and look at us. Oh, don't act like it does. Come on, y'all. Don't act like it's just me messing up. You messed up just as bad as I messed up. And, and we find ourselves in this repetitive cycle. But, but here's the good news in that I have given you is even in our messing up, we have opportunity time and time and time again to straighten it out to get to destiny. If God said he's going to do it, it's going to happen. We must learn to discipline ourselves to walk it out. Practical application. Every time you pay off your car and buy a new one. Y'all need me to get more simpler than that? Every time you get a pay raise and you adjust your lifestyle. Destiny is there. It will happen. But we put ourselves in these cycles. Come on, is this making sense, guy? So here, here's the procrastination piece from last week. Stop it. Your iPhone 4S is just as good as the 6S. Every time there's a new model of television come out, you got to get it. Let me stop. Let me stay with the message. I want y'all to come back. Yeah, let me stop. Amen. Yeah. Because all the brothers are like, what you mean, Pastor? It's football season. Yeah. <laughs> the perfective aspect. Come on, say perfective aspect. Say perfective. I mean, perspective aspect. Say it will happen. We must learn to walk it out. And the sooner we walk it out, the quicker we get to time of completion. Did y'all get that? Did y'all get that? The quicker we walk it out, the faster we get to time of completion. I want y'all to hear me. I want y'all to hear me. So Joshua, it will happen. God, see, look what the text says. It says, see, I have given you, okay, um, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. And not only that, but along with its king and its fighting men. Let me say this to you parenthetically, and this is free. I didn't even prepare to say this, but God is saying this. Listen, the design of God for the people of God is that we have more than any person in the earth realm simply because of who that is. Oh, let me help you all with that. This is why you should have been here Wednesday. You will notice with every Old Testament character that God placed in the home or the land of a pagan, because of the principles of produce, God prospered the pagan because of his child being in their house. But if you follow the pattern, you will always notice that the pagan ends up getting mad with the child of God because the child of God seems to end up with more than the pagan had in the first place. Are y'all getting this? I mean, look at Joseph, right? Look, look at how God was doing in his life. Come on, look at Abraham when he went into Egypt, how God blessed him. Look at everything that they went through, how God prospered them. And here's what we say with our shallow little self. Well, Abraham was rich. No, 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 no. He works the pre-worked the principle of produce, and he broke the cycles in his life. Come on now. And he kept walking towards it will happen. And we must learn to follow God like that. 
The battle isn't ours. It belongs to God. So if God says he's going to fix it, if God says he's going to do it, trust him and let him do it. The issue then becomes where it seems as if God is not doing it is because we are disobedient to the word of God. That's really what happens is we disobey God. Let me give you one example and I'm going to move on really, really quick. God told you not to leave him. Leave that alone. See how quiet it got in here? <laughs> and, and, and here we are now. God, are you going to send me a man or what? And he's like, you had one. It was obedience. But God, he was acting up. It wasn't your job to fix him. It was mine. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me leave that alone. Let me leave that alone. Okay. Leave that alone. Leave that alone. Third thing, let me hit this real quick and we can stop. And go to the third one. God fighting for you, this is heavy, calls for you doing what seems ridiculous, but it's necessary for him being God to be glorified. This is the part where we mess up. God fighting with you, for you, calls for you or me doing what seems ridiculous, but it's necessary for him to be glorified. Repeat out of me. Say, I must do, I must do. The, ridiculous the ridiculous so God can be glorified. Let me tell you why I'm saying the ridiculous, because if it makes sense, we do it. It's when it don't make sense. Hey, Moses, raise your staff. The sea's going to part. You tripping? Hey, Moses, I mean Joshua, send the priests out in the Jordan. As soon as they put the foot in the water, it's going to part. God, are you crazy? That doesn't make sense. And that's our problem. We want to analyze and process God out. And we say to God, God tells us to do something. Okay, God, let me pray about it. Right? I need five of y'all to partner with me in prayer. God is telling me to do something. But I need to make sure I'm hearing. God fighting for you calls for you doing what seems ridiculous, but is necessary for him to be glorified. Watch this story. Look at verse 3. March around the city once with the armed men. And do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. With the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then... That huge, mile-wide wall of that city is going to collapse. And then the army will go up and everyone's trading. Okay, God, let's talk about this. You want me. Do you know who I am? The Malachites don't have nothing on me. <laughs> Amorites don't have nothing on me. The Jebusites, the Hittites, termites, all of them. <laughs> ain't, ain't not, they don't have nothing on me, God. Now, in the past, when I've engaged my enemy, I could see you telling Caleb to hold up one arm and me hold up the other one of Moses while the people are fighting. But listen to what you're saying, God. Listen at yourself. You want me to make a fool of myself. And walk around the wall of Jericho seven times. One every day. And then, if you think about it, God, we're on the ground. They're up in the air. You want me to expose myself. 
So the enemy can just shoot arrows and take me out. God, this, this, this is not making sense. Let's, let's come again. You need to go talk to the Holy Spirit about that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we spend so much time processing with God. Because we refuse to do the ridiculous so God can be glorified through our obedience. <laughs> that we stay in these cycles and we can't get to more than enough. I mean, you, you've got to see this. You, you, you must see this. I mean, imagine this. Day one, uh, the text says, I, I thank God that Joshua obeyed. But, but now put yourself on the side of, of, of the Canaanites in Jericho, right? The Israelites... They're inside trembling, and then here's the Israelites saying, God said. And the first time around the wall, the guards on top of the wall looked up and he says, Hey, they're coming, they're coming. Guard yourself, they're coming. And then, hold up. Whoa. They walking around the wall, y'all. That's like dumb. <laughs> you, you guys get this? And then, I mean... Exposed in all kinds of fashion, in all kinds of way, but, but yet and still in all of that, they obeyed God and God proved himself faithful. Here's what I want y'all to understand, and I'm going to show you some things. God says when God releases a word over your life, even though you might not understand what God is saying, sometimes it is in the ridiculous things that God gets glorified. You're looking at a guy that's been married 32 years. 16 of the first 32 was a living hell. But God said to this woman, don't leave him. God, you tripping. Because he ain't right. You know how. And y'all know how mamas be doing, girl. You better leave him. And she has, all she has is God said, God said, God said, God said. And it's in the giving up that we start the cycle. Because we can't get to what God's going to do. Take seven priests. And, and this is how you know God is fighting because in the Israelites engaging their enemies in battle, the priests would normally stay at home praying. Certain instances God would release the priests to go, but whenever the priest precedes the military people in battle, it's indicative of the fact that this is not normal warfare. This is spiritual warfare. Y'all were here in the Ephesians series 6 and 10. The wrestle is not against flesh, come on y'all, and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of spiritual darkness in high places. So the commander of the Lord's army have showed up with his drawn sword to say, take on the full armor of God. I wish I had somebody. So we need to release the priests first. Now, now here, here's the thing that you've got to get this, is that a lot of us, when we say release the priest, you mess around and call the pastor and you call the elders because you don't know who the priest really is. If you were to go to 1 Peter, upon your salvation, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Come on, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. So when God releases you, God says, I am empower you to engage the enemy. And then notice this, let the priest walk with seven ram horn. And, and if you understand what the ram horn, not the trumpet, which was a sign of engaging in militaristic Role, but the war, the, the horn, which was a worship instrument. And we're so busy complaining about the enemy that we don't spend enough time blowing the horn. Oh, I wish I had two people in here. And you wonder why the walls are not coming down. Blow your horn in worship so God can be glorified. forget the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark was symbolic of the presence of God and if you know your temple now is that vehicle that houses the Ark 
you to shout. Hey, you've got God on your side. God is in the box. All you've got to say, go out, God, and let God fight with you, for you. You have everything Joshua had. Come on, y'all. The ark is in you. Your worship is the horns. You are the priest of today. Then he said, do it seven times. The number of completion. Going back to that previous verse. I have delivered. Are you with me? The perfective aspect. In other words, you just walk it out one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our problem is we want it all right now. And that aspect has no reference to time. He just wants you to walk it out because it's in the walking it out that our trust is strengthened. In the walking it out that we're strengthening him. It's in the walking it out that we get to know him better. In the walking it out that he revealed himself to us. It's in the walking it out that we get drawn closer and closer and closer to him. But a lot of us, I'm yet believing God while we sit and do nothing. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm almost done. Come on, are you guys hearing me this morning? Let God fight your battle for you. You have all the tools you need. Are you guys hearing me? Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Let me go, let me go down. Let, let's jump. Go to the next one. Let me put two more things. Go to this. Now, here, this is, this is critical. This is critical. I, I got to hit this, and I don't have time to deal with this. When God delivers your enemy into your hands, he does not do it for, he does it for his glory, not necessarily your personal. I know y'all don't like this, because that's not what the TV preachers say. I'm going to let that settle in for a while. Don't touch the devoted things. We're going to see this. Listen to this. When God delivers your enemy into your hands, he does not do it. He does it for his glory, not necessarily for your personal gain. This is what we do. The earth, let me, let me quote the scripture, Psalms. The earth is the, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell, there you go. Girl, I'm waiting for my blessing. Then all of a sudden, God takes a wall down. See, the Lord just done blessed me. And then we take the blessing and we go by and do Mercedes SL 550. And we mess with the devoted things. And then now when it comes time to worship God, with the first fruit of our loins, the very thing he blessed us with. Oh God, I'd love to bless you, but I really can't afford to right now because I hooked me up first. Stay away from the devoted things. If you've been in restoration any length of time, we used to have these things called Brighton commercials. And Brighton would talk about the 2080 rules. Are you with me? You should know at least 10% don't belong to you. Let me go broader. You should know none of it belongs to you. So here's how our stewardship covenant says it, and I'm going to move on. It's not how much I spend on me, but it's how much of God's stuff that I keep for myself. If we think... The battle wasn't mine, it belonged to God, and God first. And we put God first, here's how Matthew says it, then all things shall be added unto you. Timothy puts it this way, and that, hey, when you're enjoying, enjoy some of God's resources for yourself, so it's okay to enjoy the stuff. I'm not saying don't have a nice house. I'm not saying don't have a nice car. I'm not saying don't have fancy clothes. I'm not saying don't go scuba diving because that's what I like to do. I'm not saying none of that stuff. But I am saying put God. Don't mess with the devoted things. 
Because when you mess with the devoted things, you bring destruction on yourself. Don't make the mistake of saying, well, look at the worldly people. They don't tithe and they still bless. Well, they're not positioned to live life like you. You and I are children of God. God wants to prosper us more than he's prospering them. But we keep messing with the devoted things that belong to God. Are you with me? So when God starts tearing your Jericho walls down, remember, first of all, who did it? Don't mess with the devoted things. First thing you do is bring the treasury into the temple of God and let God give you what God wants you to have. Are you hearing me? Does this make sense? Because somebody in here is going to walk out of here and God's going to bless them tremendously and you're going to forget this message and you're going to wonder why the food disappeared. Well, you created produce. You made produce become manna. Last thing. Go to the last slide real quick. When he completes his work of demolishing those impossible feats in your life, don't ever attempt to rebuild it. Now that should make sense. Let me read the last verse and then we're going to pray. Verse 26. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Curse before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up his gates. Church, hear my heart. Come on, worship team. Let's stop some things. Let's put God first. And let's don't rebuild again. Because we're setting up structures and we put ourselves in these cycle. If God fights for us and takes down whatever it is in our life, let's not make the mistakes of building it back up. Somebody's saying, well, preacher, what are you talking about? Let me give you a subtle, humorous example. It's like God delivered you from drugs. And now they've legalized marijuana and you go get you a marijuana card. <laughs> Just be frank with y'all. Because I know a whole lot of Christian that already showed me theirs. You see what I'm saying? You, you guys get what I'm saying? God delivered you from that abusive relationship. And there you go chasing another type of man that's just as abusive as the first one. Are you guys hearing me? Come on, I want y'all to hear me this morning. Lost the first house in bankruptcy because you couldn't afford it. And Romans 8 and 28 allowed God to use the bankruptcy to grace you to start all over again. And there you go. Moving to a place you can't afford again. Rebuilding Jericho. Are you guys hearing me? Discipline, 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 discipline. To enjoy our season of more than enough, we must change our mindset. We must change how we do what we do. We must allow God to be God in our lives.